Good morning. Happy Easter, everybody. I'm so glad that you are here. You look great. Thank you for being here today. Welcome to those who are joining us online. Glad that you are worshiping with us uh, for Easter Sunday as well. Uh, Ian mentioned that we do love a comeback, like I think everybody I know uh, enjoys a comeback. We like rooting for the underdog. It is Master's Week in addition to being uh, Easter Sunday. Seems like every year. People are wondering whether Tiger is going to make a comeback. Uh, the couple of leaders this week, I'm kind of hoping the amateur makes a comeback over the next uh, round and a half that we have to go today. We, we like good comebacks. We, we like uh, sports comebacks in general, not just golf, but uh, we like it especially when our team is behind and they find a way to come back. Everybody has counted them out. Everybody has assumed that they can't do it and they defeat the odds. They turn everything around and make a comeback. Uh, if you're familiar with the ESPN odds tracker, uh, maybe you're familiar with the, the game flow graph. There's this graph that as the game goes along shows who's winning and by how much and it switches back and forth based on who's winning but then there's this other uh, percentage that is the win probability and I've never understood what use that is but nonetheless they have it there so at some point in the game it'll say this team there's a 70% chance they're going to win there's a 80% chance they're going to win I always love it when there's like a 90% chance this one team is going to win and then there are a few key moments in the game and the other team comes back and wins it's like, it's like that 90% probability uh, it had absolutely no point to it. There was no reason for it being there. We like a good comeback, um, unless the Falcons are winning 28-3, to right? <laughs> so you were thinking it. You were thinking it over there. You were thinking it. I was just going to get it out there, all right? We don't like it when comebacks go against us. We like when they happen in our favor. We, we like them when we don't have any interest in the game at all, right? If your team's not playing... But there's a comeback on, you hear on this channel, this team may come back, you're going to go over there and watch it. But we don't really like it when it happens against our team. Here's another interesting thing about comebacks, though, is that um, sometimes even a comeback that works against us might eventually turn around and work for us. Georgia fans, you're here, I know. I don't have to ask. Uh, um, Alabama has second and 26 in the national championship a couple of years ago, and they come back and win. And the reality is, for most of you Georgia fans, you don't even think about second and 26 anymore, do you? Because you got back-to-back -back national championships. Like, that doesn't hardly enter into your mind. You came back over Alabama's comeback, and now you're on top, right? So sometimes even setbacks can get turned around and work towards a comeback. We like a good comeback. It's why we, we like Rocky, right? And Rocky 2, and Rocky 3, and 4, and 5, and Rocky Balboa, and Creed, and Creed 2, and Creed 3. <laughs> why do they keep turning these movies out? Because they know we like a good comeback. Right? We, we like it when the underdog finds a way. You thought they were down, you thought they were out, and they find a way to come back. We don't just like comebacks in sports, though. We don't like... Just like comebacks in movies, we especially like comebacks in real life. When we hear the story of the person that faced seemingly insurmountable odds and they found a way to rise above it and come out on top, we love that story. That person who they had an addiction and 
They got help. They found the courage and the strength within themselves. They, they found the right program or the right person that could help them fight this demon that had, had, had been after them for so long. We love that story, that person who had a traumatic childhood. And yet, through a set of circumstances, they became this incredible person. We love that story, that person that, that lost their job, and then they turned around and got a better job. We love, or they start their own company and they make bazillions of dollars. I, we love that sort of thing. The person who faced rejection over and over and over again. And then finally, all of a sudden, they found that dream opportunity. We love comeback stories, movies, sports, especially in real life with real people. We love comeback stories, but here's the reality. We love real life comeback stories. We just don't like being in circumstances that require a comeback. Ourselves. We, we talked about this before in different language here at our church. We love the comeback story. We just don't want to personally need a comeback story. We don't want the setback that comes before the comeback. We like somebody else's comeback story. We like a sports comeback story. We, we sometimes even like our own comeback story from the past. As long as we have already come back, we like that story. We just don't want to set back today. But setbacks are the perfect environment for the comeback. And every comeback that you have ever heard of or read of or know about started with a setback. And maybe some of you are feeling that today. Maybe some of you have had some dreams dashed of late. Maybe there were some opportunities that you thought you had or you thought you deserved and they passed you by. Uh, Maybe there's a a health issue going on with some of you. Maybe life just isn't where you thought it was going to be at this point in your life. Maybe you're like most of us and occasionally you look at your life and you say, I thought by the time I was fill in the number of years i thought by the time i was i would have this i would be here i would have done maybe that's you today and i want to tell you that setbacks aren't just for the movies and comebacks aren't just for the movies comebacks aren't just for professional athletes comebacks are for you over the next four weeks we're going to look at some different types of setbacks and what we need to do to move through those setbacks in our lives. And that's one of the principles we're going to come to over and over again in this four-week series. It's this, the way through setbacks is to keep moving forward. I mean, the, the way through setbacks is through them. You can't detour around them. You can't skip over them. You can't get a do-over You can't press pause. The only way to get through the hard places of life is to to go through them, is to keep taking the next step, to keep moving forward. The way to get from A to B is to follow the path, to take the steps along the path from A to B. We know this on a map. Anybody remember back in the olden days when we used maps? You open a map, said, I need to get from here to there, and there was a path. And you know, if I follow this path, I will get from this point to that point. Now we rely on GPS. It does the same thing, right? You could pull out your phone right now. You could enter any address in your GPS, and it would tell you how to get from here to there, 
follow this path, go this route, take these steps, make these turns. As a matter of fact, you could get turn-by-turn directions. You wouldn't have to miss a single turn because every time you come to a decision, a voice would speak from somewhere and say, turn right, get off here, exit 61, turn left, turn by turn directions. There's a voice that's going to guide you through every step from this place to that place, and there's going to be no surprises in the middle. Because it's going to tell you all the problems you're going to face. There's an accident at this particular spot. There's debris on the road at this particular spot. You're going to have a slowdown. It's going to take you about eight minutes to get through this slowdown. It's going to tell you every part of the journey. The only way to get from here to there is to take the journey. Now, the problem with life setbacks is we don't get turn-by-turn directions. We don't always see a clear path. We don't always know how long it's going to take us to get there. Your GPS will tell you if you want to get from here to there, it's going to take you 43 minutes. You will arrive at 1032. Life setbacks aren't that way, are they? They don't come with a set of directions that say, hey, if you just follow this plan in two weeks, you'll be out of this. Hey, if you just follow this path, in six weeks, it'll all be over. You'll be at point B. You'll be at your comeback. That'd be nice. That'd be nice to know I'm only going to be in this for a little while. And in just a few weeks, it's all going to be over. But the setbacks of life, they don't come with that sort of specificity. What you and I have to figure out is, how do I take the next step today? I I can't get from A to B today. But what's the step I'm supposed to take today when you're discouraged, when, when you're depressed? When, when life seems to have failed you, when you're disillusioned, when you thought you were going to get it and you didn't get it, what am I supposed to do today? What is the one step I can take today? And, and, and in the, the worst of circumstances, sometimes that's a very small step. In the worst of circumstances... We have to figure out what's that one small step I can take today and just keep repeating that small step until I feel capable of taking a bigger step. Sometimes, some of us have been there. Sometimes the one step I can take today is get out of bed. Some of us us have been at that point emotionally, physically, with life. Like the one thing I need to do today is get out of bed and get started. And tomorrow... I need to get out of bed and get started. And the next day, until I can take a bigger step, until I see a little bit more of the path, until I know a little more that it's right turn or left turn, I just got to keep taking this really small step until it's time to take a bigger step. You just got to keep moving forward. You got to keep moving forward. But but there's, there's good news, better news in the moving forward, and it's this. God's with us strengthening us when we face a setback. We're we're not taking little steps by ourselves, big steps by ourselves. We're not trying to decide right turn, left turn by ourselves. You may not hear a voice the way you do with your GPS, but God is with you in the setback, in the struggle, in the challenge, in the questions, in the I don't know what to expect. God is with you. He's not standing At the finish line, he's not standing at point B waiting for you to get there. 
He's not standing at the finish line saying, I sure hope they get here someday. I hope they make it. Any of you, uh, uh, you don't have to raise your hands, but for those of you who, who have run a race, like a road race, um, uh, on your feet, moving forward, like that kind of 5K, 10K, half marathon, full marathon, whatever else, if you've ever done those, you know that at the finish line, there's always a crowd of people. And, and often family will wait for you at the finish line. And when you get to the finish line, everybody's screaming and cheering and yelling. Usually there's a big scaffolding. It has the time clock on it, how long it's taken you to get there. There's sometimes somebody with a microphone, and they're calling out people's names. Hey, give it up for her. And everybody's screaming. They're giving you water and Powerade and food. And here's the reality. When you get to the finish line, you don't need help celebrating, do you? Are you just so glad to be there? You're just glad you don't have to run anymore. You just you are thrilled that you were there. The finish line is not where you need encouragement. Mile three, when you threw up, that's when you needed encouragement. Mile five, when you got cramps, right? The hamstring you pulled at mile fifteen, right? That that knee pain you started feeling about mile seventeen. You didn't think you were going to get to the end of this race. That's when you needed somebody to come beside you and say, hey, we're going to make it. We're going to make it. I know it doesn't feel like it right now. You're going to make it. You can do this. We're going to get all the way to the end. Celebrating at the finish line is wonderful. I need somebody in the middle of the race, though. I need somebody who will say, we can do this. Keep moving forward. My wife uh, wanted to run a marathon years ago. And I had run one, and so we were going to run it together. It's a longer story than I'm making it out to be. I'm going to give you the, the cliff notes here. We got about mile 15, and she was done. I mean, totally done. So being the good husband, I started distracting her. I said, oh, well, look over there, and there's this over there. It was a Disney World marathon. There's a band playing over there. Oh, look, there's Goofy. Look, there's... And about mile 20, she said, I just need you to be quiet for a little while. So I can get myself together. And I was quiet for a while after that. Look, God's in the middle of the race, and God's not annoying the way I am in the middle of a race. Like, He's not annoying. God's, God's strengthening us, God's upholding us. As a matter of fact, that's what the psalmist says in Psalm 145, verse 14 The Lord upholds all who fall and lifts up all who are bowed down. Not at the finish line, when they fall, when they cramp up, right? when the knee pain comes, when the discouragement comes, when the opportunity passes them by, when they wonder if they will ever get the chance, when their relationships seem to struggle. In that moment, in the setback, in the hard parts, the psalmist says the Lord upholds all who fall. He lifts up. All who are bowed down. Proverbs 24 has this interesting line. Do not lurk like a thief near the house of the righteous. Do not plunder their dwelling place. For though the righteous fall seven times, they rise again, but the wicked stumble when calamity strikes. Kind of an odd verse. What, what he's saying is, look, you better not mess with the people of God. Like, don't mess with the righteous. Do you know who those people are? Do you know who they are? They're the people that every time they fall down, they get back up. 
They fall down seven times. They get back. But you can try to destroy them. You can try to wipe them out. You can come against them if you want. The people of God, when they fall, they rise. They rise again. They start moving forward again. And we know the reason that happens is not because of us. Because we don't always feel like getting back up, do we? We don't always feel like taking another step. It's not because you and I in ourselves have some superhuman strength. It's, it's because God upholds those who fall. You rise when you fall, not because of your strength, but because God is able to lift you up in the hardest moments of life. And he's able to do that because he's already experienced the greatest setback as well. He knows what it's like to be rejected. He knows what it's like for people to turn against him. He knows what it's like to agonize in pain. Jesus experienced and defeated our greatest setback of all. Just before Jesus is arrested, he's praying in the garden. Luke tells us in verse 22, Jesus withdrew about a stone's throw beyond them, knelt down and prayed, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me, yet not my will, but yours be done. And being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. Jesus knows what it's like to agonize. Jesus knows what it's like to hurt. Jesus knows what it's like to be broken. Jesus knows what it's like to call out to God and say, God, why aren't you doing something? God, why don't you change this? God, why don't you step in? Jesus knows that weight. He knows that brokenness. He, he knows what it feels like to be rejected. He even felt like his own father turned away from him at the cross. But right in the middle of that, in between agonizing in prayer and praying with such intensity that his sweat became like blood, Luke tells us in verse 30, 43, an angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him. Didn't, didn't take him out of the situation. He's agonizing in prayer followed by he's praying with such intensity asking God to do something that his sweat becomes like blood and right in between those the Bible says that God sent an angel to strengthen him now I don't think you've ever seen an angel if you have I'd love to hear the story I've never seen an angel ever heard from one we're told this we see this and in, 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 a, in a visual way, this is God's way of saying, I was there for my son, I'm there for you. In between your prayers for me to do something, and your agonizing, in the middle of all of that, when you think I'm not doing anything, I'm there. I'm giving you strength. I'm carrying you. I'm upholding you. And, and we know that Jesus' pain didn't go away at that moment. Like this, this wasn't when, when everything worked out. Jesus is arrested right after that. And following his arrest, all of his follow, followers left him. Peter has this sort of bold moment. Jesus didn't ask for it, but Peter has this bold moment where he pulls a sword and cuts off a soldier's ear. But right after that happens, Mark tells us, then everyone deserted him, everyone, including Peter. Every single one of his friends, every single one of his followers, 
deserted him. Jesus stands in, on trial. Uh, the, the Roman rulers were more sympathetic to Jesus than his own friends and followers. Pilate was looking for some way to let Jesus go free. But he's condemned. The crowd says, crucify him. Give us Barabbas. He's handed over to be beaten. He's forced to carry his cross to the place of execution. He's so weakened by the beating that he has sustained that he stumbles and another man is asked to take his cross to the place of execution. His hands and feet are nailed to the cross. He hangs for six hours until he dies experiencing the worst of our sin, the worst of pain, the worst of what evil has to offer for us. Christ defeats sin and death and hell and the grave for you, for me. He exchanges our sin. He takes upon himself our sin and gives us his righteousness, making it possible. For us to be overcomers, making it possible for us to be victorious in whatever circumstances we find ourselves in. Paul says it this way in Romans 8. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Paul says, what setback could possibly win? None. There's none. He even names some trouble, hardship, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, or sword. You could fill in your own setback into the, this list. And Paul would say, that is no match for Christ. That is no match for the one who overcame your biggest enemy, your biggest challenge, which was your separation from God, even when other people look at your life and think it's hopeless. That's what Paul means by some, uh, we are considered sheep to be slaughtered. Like sheep have no choice. They're in a hopeless situation. Their life is about to end. Paul says some people look at us. Some people look at the struggles that we face. Some people look at the setbacks that we have, the problems that we are encountering, and they think it's hopeless. It's not hopeless. Why? Because Christ has made us more than conquerors. Christ has defeated our biggest enemy, our biggest struggle by defeating sin on the cross. And if, if Christ would defeat our biggest struggle... Surely he's not going to be indifferent with all of the other struggles that we face. Surely he's not going to be callous toward, uncaring toward all of the other setbacks that we face. He's going to give us strength in those as well. He's going to make us victorious in those as well. He's going to make us more than conquerors in those as well. Not just when we die, not just at the finish line. We sometimes have this view of God when we get to heaven and, and he's going to be applauding. It's going to be so great that we made it. No, he's applauding now. He's cheering now. He's with us now. Not standing at the finish line hoping we make it. He's with us right 
now. Paul kind of marries these two ideas of what's going to happen in heaven and what's currently happening now. In 1 Corinthians 15, Paul writes, When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable. In other words, when we leave this mortal life and we step into heaven, we step into eternity, and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. So Paul agrees. Look, death has been defeated. We're going to step into eternity one day. It's going to be glorious one day. We're going to have heaven one day. But then Paul goes on to say, Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm now. Now, stand firm now. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Stand firm now. Not just then. Don't be moved by every disappointment, by every struggle that you face, by every hardship that you face. Yes, they're real. Yes, they are at times painful, but stand firm now Christ has given you the victory, not just eternally. Christ has given us the victory now. How do we live in that? How do we live in that sort of spiritual victory? Here's one thought from the life of Jesus. We have to look beyond the struggle to the victory. We have to look beyond the struggle, beyond the immediate, and by faith believe that even in the hardest of moments, God is accomplishing something in our lives. Even the most disappointing of moments, God is at work bringing victory and hope and life. Hebrews 12 says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith, For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. How did Jesus face his greatest struggle? He looked ahead to the joy that was on the other side. He knew that God was at work even in this struggle to bring about victory on the other side of what I'm currently facing. You and I need the ability to do that. That when we walk through struggles, we may not understand every way. We may not understand everything that God is doing. But to be able to say by faith, God, I think I believe you're going to use this for something greater. I believe you are going to be at work in the hardest of my moments. In the things that I don't understand, I believe you are accomplishing good for the joy set before him. He walked through the hardest of times. And the writer says... You can run the race then. You can keep going. You can persevere, not in your own strength, but in the strength that Christ has won for you. You can make a comeback, no matter what the setback currently is in your life. Listen, someone here needs to hear these words. Comebacks are not just for the movies. Being an overcomer, more than conqueror, is not just for sports. It's not just for other people. 
It's not just for people that you read about or hear about. It's for you. Christ wants to give you victory. Christ wants to give you hope. Christ wants to walk with you through the difficult moments of life and bring you to the other side where you will be able to look back and say, God was with me. God upheld me. God was faithful. God gave me victory. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes for just a moment? Look, life is full of setbacks. It's full of struggles. It's full of pain at times. It's full of loss. But we are promised again and again and again in the scriptures that just as Jesus came back over death and hell and the grave, he wants to help you come back too. He wants to give you strength and power and victory and hope and life. Whatever you're facing right now, put your faith in him. Trust that the one who overcame death and hell and the grave can overcome what's challenging you right now. God, we ask that you would come minister to our souls. Encourage us that you have made us more than conquerors in this life not someday when we die not when we get to the finish line not when we make it to heaven right now in this life you are giving us victory and in this room God there are people who have been discouraged lately there are people who have struggled to have hope in the last few weeks encourage their hearts Remind them that they are not running alone to keep taking the next step and taking the next step because you are at work in their lives. Help us to be faithful till we see the victory, God. For I pray it in Christ's name. Amen.